The following is a production of the PTB Soccer Podcast Network, the Parking the Bus Soccer Podcast Network. The views expressed on the show are those of the host and solely of the host. For more information, follow the PTB Soccer Network on Instagram at PTB Soccer. That's on Instagram at PTB Soccer. Enjoy the show. Sim, quando, quando toda a gente está satisfeita, incluído, incluído eu, as coisas só têm que, que continuar e nesse sentido, quando eu vejo, vejo isso, vejo a Hungria enorme dentro da casa, vejo a Hungria enorme nos estádios a acompanhar, vejo os jogadores a treinarem com, com, com idade, empenhados e a jogar o jogo que nós gostamos, que os sócios gostam, há que dar continuidade e fico, como lhe disse, a mesma confiança e o, e o mesmo orgulho de, de estar uh, nesta posição e também aproveitar para, para realçar o, o percurso, porque também me deixa muito orgulhoso. Eu cheguei uh, a esta casa para, para treinar os comas, ou seja, futebol 7, e consegui fazer algo que me deixa, me deixa orgulhoso. Uh, que foi treinar iniciados, juvenis, júniores, equipa B e agora equipa A. Um, fico satisfeito por isso, mas uh, motivado e concentrado e nada me tira a concentração nem, nem o foco de, de fazer cada vez melhor. E é isso, essa é a minha intenção e essa é a pressão que eu coloco, eu coloco em mim. Fazer sempre mais e melhor e o mais e melhor tem que ser feito já, já amanhã. What's up, Benfica Nation? Welcome to a special episode of Mr. Benfica. It's episode 65, and it is a recap of the year and a half, more or less, <laughs> approximate year and a half that was the Bruno Lage era at Benfica. What you heard there was a press conference following the match with Galatasaray a year ago. Well, more than a year ago now, <laughs> March of 2019, where actually it was February of 2019, I stand corrected, where Bruno Lage had just earned a contract and had just been named the permanent manager of Sport Lisboa e Benfica um, after having worn the interim tag for the first several weeks and performing very well. And you hear Bruno Lage talk. As he's asked if he feels like this is a um, a sign of how he is valued by the club. And he said, of course. He said, but it's not the only sign. There's the people, the happiness as, you know, win after win. As Benfica just was on a roll at this time, picking up win after win after win. And the people were just happy and cheering everywhere they went. 
I remember how high I was on Bruno Lage, of course. All you have to do is go back to these early episodes of Mr. Benfica. And like I said in a previous episode, if it were not for Bruno Lage, there would be no Mr. Benfica. So this this one's going to be a little tough for me. You've heard me the last couple of weeks saying that it was time to pull the plug on Bruno Lage. Um and I still obviously stand by that, and I still believe that the club did it at the very least one week too late, perhaps months too late, and perhaps it should have been done earlier. Um, of course, Luis Felipe Vieira did, of co- did in fact uh, re-sign him and up his contract back in December, not that long ago, seven months ago in December. He was signed until the end of June 2024. But it all went south oh so fast for for Benfica and for Bruno Lage this season. The year 2020, the calendar year, has just been an absolute disaster for the world and for Benfica. Benfica's 2020 has mirrored everything that has gone out on in the outside world as well. And I'm going to spend the next half hour, 40 minutes or so, talking about about what it's been like, um, starting with the good news, obviously, starting with the good times, starting with uh, with Bruno Elijah's arrival, if we go back to June of 2019, and let's start off just with his overall record, um, or the backstory, if you will. Bruno Miguel Silva do Nascimento was born... <laughs> The twelfth of May, nineteen seventy-six. Uh, he's he joined Benfica first as a youth coach in two thousand four. Prior to that, he had been a coach with Vitoria Stubal's youth academy, Primeiro de Maio, Fazendas Comércio e Industria, and Estrela Vendas Novas. Finally, in two thousand four, um, at the he had a short stint as an adult uh, coach, as an assistant with Sintrens in the then, uh, I believe it was the second division B back then. Um, and at the end of that season, he joined Benfica as a youth coach. He would work with Benfica's youth teams from 2004 to 2012, where it was time he felt, and he said in some interviews before, at the end of 2012, it was time to go somewhere else and to learn something new. Um, I think he saw his road um, up the ladder had come to had come to an end as he was he had worked at every level of the youth team by this point, and he went he followed Carlos Carvalhal to Shabab Al Akli in the United Arab Emirates, I believe. Yes, the United Arab Emirates. And he was their U19 and B-team manager. That was his job. Bruno Lage worked at Shabab Al-Akli from 2012 to 2014 when he then uh, he then accompanied Carlos Carvalhal, the same one, who is now the Huav manager. He accompanied him to Sheffield Wednesday in the English Championship. And Sheffield Wednesday and Carlos Carvalhal found their way and if I'm not mistaken, I'm double checking right now. Um, the I'm fact checking real quick. If I'm not mistaken, Sheffield Wednesday found themselves in the promotion playoff final under Carlos Carvalhal, very very close to the Premier League, one match away from the Premier League. If I'm not mistaken, 
I'm pretty sure that's what happened. I'm double checking it right now, as I said. And let's see here. I do have their lead run here. Yes, yes, they got to the final before being defeated. Um, and they they did not get promoted that year. However, on the very next season, that was in 2017, and halfway through the 2017-2018 season, Lige would once again accompany his mentor, Carlos Carvalhal, as Carvalhal would make the jump from Sheffield Wednesday to the Premier League to struggling Swansea City. Um, in an effort, in a project to try to avoid relegation. And um, unfortunately for Carvalhal, Elijah, Johnny the Conceição, and company, um, they were unable to to salvage the season as Swansea City were relegated at the end of 2017-2018. And Carvalhal was out as manager and obviously his staff went with him. Um, that opened the door for Lige to return to Benfica in 2018 as the B team manager. And as you know, he managed the B team from the beginning of the season 2018 in August until January of 2019. And it was on January the 3rd of 2019 where Lige was made the interim manager of the first team, replacing Rui Vitoria. And I don't think anybody is going to forget that first match. Bruno Lage managed in the Stadio de Luz, making a bold decision at the time. Now it looks genius. Bruno Lage inserts João Felix, the young teenager, into the starting lineup. Benfica fall behind 2-0 to Rio Ave, but wouldn't last for long as Benfica mount a, a colossal and a memorable comeback. And... At the end of the match, end up winning four to two that day in front of a full house at the Stadio de Luz. Lige gives a great interview after that match, and you could see from the beginning we had a different kind of manager. We had a guy that was very, very relaxed, a guy who spoke football like like a professor, um, X's and O's, and it just for for a football romantic like myself, for a football junkie like myself who loves the technical aspect of the ma- of, of the football. You know, it was like a lesson. It was just like it was like seeing the game through a new set of eyes. The way he explained things at first. Lige's record as Benfica's manager: seventy-six matches, fifty-one wins, twelve draws, and thirteen defeats. One hundred and eighty-one goals for, seventy-five goals against. And if you had looked at that record six months ago in January. It would have been really a phenomenal record. It all went downhill for Bruno Lage in 2020, starting at the end of January. But that first half season under Bruno Lage, uh, where he recovered, remember, a deficit of seven points. We were behind Porto by seven points. And one match at a time, one opponent at a time. We we started to plug away. And you could see there was something different in the players when Lige came aboard. At the time, I thought it was coaching. And, and I still think there's an element of coaching in it. He didn't just... He's not just anybody. And they didn't just decide to start playing. There was something they also believed 
the players also saw something they believed in in this manager last season because you know he talked a lot about training he was a manager we had just had Hui Vitaria who who when asked about training really kind of discredits training and, and talks about the match and about you know fitness and whatnot Bruno Leish talks about the importance of training and working in training when he first arrives he talks about you know he starts giving players chances right something goes wrong all of a sudden Andreas Samadis inserted back into the lineup back into the team we go to the Dragon and have the most memorable victory of all that I can remember in my adult or or youth lifetime at Porto most memorable victory that I can remember. And, you know, the one time I can honestly look at the match and say with full certainty, Benfica went into the Dragon or the Zantish, however you want to, you know, if you want to go back further to predate 2004. Benfica went in there with zero fear. When I watch the highlights of Benfica back in episode, you know, you look back at my episodes 56, 57, 58, 59, I think it was, where I reviewed the 1982-83 season. Benfica that year also went fearless into Azantes, as it was called back then. Honestly, between 83 and 2019, Benfica always looked scared when they went in to Porto to play our rivals from the north, the blue and white prison stripes. That day, it was it was completely different. There was a confidence in the team. There was no fear. We knew if we won that match, we were going into first place. That we had already made up the seven-point deficit. All the pressure was on Porto, and our players knew it. And they knew it because the manager also prepared them for that match. We fell behind on one of the worst pieces of, of our officiating of all time when an offside pep has to duck to get out of the way of the ball and allow it into the goal. It's elementary. If you had to duck out of the way, you are offside. And the referees could not get it on that day. You can go back and listen to episode 4, Paso Doble al Puerto, where I talk about that at full length. And I get kind of animated talking about the, that VAR decision. But that our team didn't care. Our team picked themselves up, and within 10 minutes, we drawn level. Who else? João Felix, the kid that Lige launched into the first team, catapulted him from a fringe first-team player to a undisputed starter, and ultimately the most important player in that team. As we came to learn after João Felix left, just how important he was, his influence, how important his influence was on our team and how many points did we get last season because of João Felix? I mean, maybe his biggest accomplishment is turning Seferovic into a golden boot winner, his his strike partner. João Felix draws us level at the Dragon, slides on both knees, arms folded, looking at the Super Dragonish, irritating them. I loved it. And then even better, Rafa runs over, grabs him by the arm and said, Get up, kid. We ain't done nothing yet. Our team was so determined that day. And for the rest of that season, one slip-up at all in 2019 for Bruno Lage, a 2 a all draw at home to Belenis Saad after we had a two-goal lead. But that was one blip. It was corrected, and it didn't happen again. And we rode all the way to the title. We rode all the way to the title. 
Lige making decisions. Every decision he made in 2019, in at least last season, in the second half of the 2018-19 season, seemed to work to gold. We go to Turkey. He plays almost an academy team. We go to Turkey and get our first ever win in Turkey with a legitimate B squad, with Yuri Ribeiro playing left back. That debut Florentino Luiz in that game, in that match. All of a sudden, you know, later in the season, Florentino becomes an integral part of our of our championship team. Something that was lost in 2019-2020 for whatever reason. Today, one of Benfica's most adored players is Adel Tarapt. When Bruno Lage arrived, Adel Tarapt hadn't played in like four years. He was a big contract who hadn't played in like four years. He was on the B team as a punishment, essentially. Bruno Lage becomes the B team manager, bonds with Adel Tarapt. Adel Tarapt starts working, decides he wants to be a footballer, decides he wants to make an impression at Benfica before it's too late. Bruno Lage becomes the first team manager. A couple injuries pop up, a couple of other things, some fixture congestion, and suddenly Adel Tarapt is named to the match day squad. A year later, Adel Tarapt is maybe the most popular player in a Benfica uniform. You can never take away. You can never take away credit from Bruno Lage. For launching Adele or relaunching, reintroducing Adele Tarapt into that first team. Adele Tarapt owes the rest of his career to Bruno Lage and to himself. But without the two, without both of them, without Adele deciding he wanted it and Bruno Lage giving him an opportunity he didn't necessarily deserve at the time, Adele Tarapt owes Bruno Lage. Gonna, it could get tough for me to talk about this because, again, um, like I said, <laughs> off the top, and I've said, if you go back and listen to the previous 64 episodes, the majority of them, I'm finding justifications and explanations for any wrong decision made by Bruno Lage. Okay, I, I consider myself to be one of his biggest fans. And honestly, I still am a Bruno Lage fan. Something happened this season. It was not all him. He had to go. There's no no doubt in my mind about that. But I'm definitely going to be rooting for Bruno Lage wherever he goes next, as long as it's not one of two uh, unthinkable teams in our league. Anywhere else, I'm hoping the best for Bruno Lage. Remember, Bruno Lage, this was his first managerial position, his first head coaching job. Who in, who has ever had the opportunity to be a lifelong assistant? Or a youth coach, and then debut as a senior manager at Benfica, and win your first what twenty some matches, win your first twenty two matches in in league play, and route to a title, a historic title, a historic in a in a, a it wasn't historic but a a monumental if you will, um, lopsided Super Cup victory. He did all this in his first job. We look at some of the best managers out there, and they climbed the ladder, and they started in second divisions. They started as assistants as well. They managed lower table 
positioned top flight teams to mid table. They worked most managers work their way that way. Bruno Lage had the fortune of going from the B team to Benfica's first team. It was, it was supposed to be on a caretaker um on a caretaker premise. However, he performed to a level that gave the man uh, gave the president no choice but to make him the permanent manager. And Benfica Nation wouldn't have had it any other way at that time. I thought we ha- I've said it. I thought we had the next Mourinho or I thought Benfica had their Alex Ferguson. Perhaps we had this guy that was going to manage us for a number of years and we were going to win a number of titles and we were going to compete again in Europe. Okay, cuz we had this young guy with new ideas, a new vision. Someone who didn't go into the post-game presser to to insult referees or to, to play mind games with with opposing managers. You know, he just talked football. It all started so well, didn't it? So where did it go wrong? Well, I'm going to take a little break here, okay? And after the break, we'll start talking about the downfall and where it went wrong for Bruno Lage as Benfica manager. This is Mr. Benfica. I am the Mr. Mike Agustinu. You can follow me on Twitter at Benfica Mr. You can follow me on Instagram at Mr. Benfica. Facebook is www.facebook.com forward slash Mr. Benfica. And don't forget to go to www.mrbenfica.com. Check out my latest video and my latest article. All right. I wrote an opinion piece about um, about the culture, the current culture of the first team at Benfica. Um, I think you can. I think if you read it, you'll you'll uh, find it. Find um, you'll find unique perspective of mine. I think I bring a unique perspective with um, having been in a lot of locker rooms, some good, some bad. I, I feel like I really I really sense that there is something bad in that locker room. And, and we'll talk about that after the break, all right? This is Mr. Benfica, and we will be right back. Bruno apanhar o defato, não é? <risos> um, a, minha, a minha primeira palavra tem que ser para, para os outros nomeados. Um, talvez eles não, não se lembrem, mas eu tenho um passado em comum com, com alguns deles. Um, eu era o treinador de júniores, quando o Mr. Fernando Santos era o treinador de cenas de equipa A. Fizemos vários jogos em conjunto. Uh, eu nunca lhe consegui vencer um. <risos> Nessa altura, o, o Pão Fonseca era o, era o treinador de, de Jonas do, do Estrela da Amadora e, curiosamente, também nessa altura, também não lhe consegui vencer um. <risos> o Vítor Oliveira é, é quase dizer quem é que lhe consegue vencer. O ano passado, enquanto treinador da equipa B, também não, não lhe consegui vencer. <risos> Com o Vítor Pereira, ainda bem que não cheguei, porque <risos> como está, <risos> também não ia vencer. E um, esta é, tem que ser, se calhar, a, a grande mensagem deste, deste troféu, em termos individuais, é isto, é que nós um dia para ganhar uh, temos que perder muito e há que saber perder. Uh, ninguém gosta de perder, mas nós temos que, que saber perder. Uh, 
Um... Welcome back to a special bonus episode of Mr. Benfica. And it's all about Bruno Lage today. And what you heard there was not that long ago, Bruno Lage being awarded the 2019 Portuguese Football Manager of the Year. And you heard his speech there, for those of you that understand Portuguese. What he said was, first of all, he was um, he spoke, said something very nice about all of the other nominees in the, in the way that he always spoke. Um, first with the national team manager, Fernando Santos, and he tells a story about how when he was Benfica's juniors manager, uh, Fernando Santos was the first team manager, and many times they had training matches against one another, and goes... I never beat Fernando Sancho at anything, or I never beat him. And then he goes to the next the next nominee, Paulo Fonseca, the current Roma manager. Um, and he says, when I was the, the junior's coach as well, Paulo Fonseca was the junior's coach at Estrela da Madura. And interestingly enough, I was never able to beat him on the pitch either. <laughs> and he, So he has zero coaching victories against... The first two names on the list. Next, he goes to Vitor Oliveira, the experienced manager, the man uh, who I don't think there's a single um, there's a single person that follows Portuguese football or involved in Portuguese football that does not have an immense amount of respect for Vitor Oliveira, and he's and he says uh, nobody's who can beat him. And then he goes, and earlier this season when I was the B team manager, I didn't beat. Vitor Oliveira in the second division either. And then he says, fortunately, I've never played against against uh, Vitor Pereira, or I probably would have lost to him too. And then he goes on to say something, and he goes, it's important when you win that it um, to be gracious, and it's important to know how to win, and it's important to know how to lose. And um, he goes on to, to you know, talk like the philosopher he sounded like at that time at the end of the 2019 season um i actually i believe the the ceremony was in the fall of 2019 but we're moving forward now uh in the brunelage story we'll move to 2019 2020 and um we got to see him here in the united states uh with the international champions cup um even got to hear an english language interview on espn uh, very brief. He only said a few words, but um, you know there was there was open trainings that a lot of us witnessed. I didn't have the for I wasn't fortunate enough to to attend any of the of the trainings as they didn't do any around here. They did them in California and they did them in New Jersey. But a lot of a lot of you that listen to this show um, were able to attend to those trainings. So a lot of people at this time were still very big on Brunelage. They're watching and they're they're learning. And the team had a cohesion and had a had a, a belief, but I started to see something that I was concerned with right in preseason here in in the United States in the International Champions Cup, and it was this: it was that certain. It looked like the players that were playing were either there were certain players being kind of forced, and I don't think this was Lige. I honestly. Unless I hear someone from the inside say otherwise and not Lige himself because I think Lige protects everybody around him. And I think that's part of why he came apart, why things were ruined for him, perhaps. 
And I'm not saying he's dishonest. I think he's honest. I think he's loyal to a fault from what I could see. And what I saw in preseason was Fasia getting far too many minutes in at the holding mid-roll. Samadish had just had the best season of his career. Everyone was expecting to see Samadish and Gabriel team up in midfield to start 2019-2020. However, all summer we didn't see that. Gabriel was 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 out of form a bit, having come off an injury. Um, you saw either Fasia or you saw Florentino. Okay, uh, Florentino had a good preseason, um, but Fasia played a lot of minutes, and Samadish sat all all summer, whether it was in the ICC or in any other friendlies. He sat, and I don't think that the players that Rallied around guys like Samadish a year ago. Um, perhaps they didn't take so well to that. And Adel Terap played a lot, which is fine because he, he ended up becoming a very important player. At this time, he was he was a talented player, but we were still waiting to see where he was going to fit. Okay, Because remember, he was not in the 11 week after week last year. In fact, he was many times an unused substitute. And I said on this show that I thought he was a compliment, but I didn't think he could be the number 10. And um, and he has improved and evolved um, quite a bit since since that preseason. And he has grown into a, a crucial part of this team. But at that time, we didn't know that yet. And he had his fans who believed in him. And then he had his detractors who didn't want to see him. And, and Benfica Nation was split on him, perhaps... I'm starting to think the Benfica squad was also split on him. Okay? I think some players, and I'm not going to mention names because I don't know I'm not in there, but some of the other players who weren't playing and then saw Terapt just jump over them in the pecking order, I think some of those players lost some attitude points. Okay, I think I think some attitudes started to spoil. And I think that factions started to to form in the team. And I'm not trying to gossip, but I'm I I looked closely and I've gone back and I've read articles and I've and I've watched bits of matches and I'm trying to read players' body language. Okay? And I think even from, you know, the 54th row of Gillette Stadium where I watched Benfica win an ugly 1-0 victory over over AC Milan to, cl- to win the International Champions Cup. There was a lot that was not right in that team. Um, but as the season started, I think they carried some of that drama, some of that baggage with them. But then the Super Cup goes off without a hitch, and we, we stomp Sporting. And what happens at the beginning of every season is what I was hoping was going to happen um, in the relaunch after COVID-19. And that is that PZ goes on a tear. And I've said this in the best way I can say it about PZ is that PZ on good Benfica teams is a role player. Okay, PZ has his place, but PZ is not an undisputed starter on a good Benfica team. Okay. PZ is an average player who, for portions of a season, goes on a run where he plays way above himself, usually early in the season, and then again towards the, the if you were to cut the season into quarters, probably towards the late 
third to early fourth quarter of the season, he kind of gets his steam back. And I think that was, if you're talking about chronologically or in terms of a calendar, that was probably the three months that we were not playing football is the part of the year where PZ starts to regain his form. If you go back and look at PZ's career, a lot of his international caps come in the September, October, and November um, international windows. He's often left off of, of um, major tournament teams because he doesn't finish the season well. Uh, he was not at Euro 2016. He was, in, I think he was an unused substitute at the World Cup if he was even chosen for the World Cup in 2018. I don't remember anymore. Uh, he may have been chosen for the World Cup in 2018, but I'm pretty sure he played very little. Um, Rafa was left off the World Cup team also in 2018, and um, he he had some of the same uh, cycles. Rafa took a long time to get going, but Bruno Lage comes into the team, and all of a sudden, Rafa turns into the best player in Liga Nash. This season, he never got going, and, and part of that was because Benfica began to rely too heavily on Rafa, and other teams began to just hack Rafa. Okay, and I think Rafa lost a lot of form in time stopped this year. Um, he was injured for a good stretch, and even now uh, he's less imaginative. Also, the football Benfica's playing became poor, and what happened was, in my opinion, from what I'm seeing, the manager's instructions, I think the manager's instructions either were not being fulfilled, not being taken, or... We heard from Andre Almeida saying they're doing exactly what they're told. It's possible, and when players get get bitter or when players are unhappy, they start to take coaching instructions out of context. So if if Bruno Lage says to Andre Almeida, and I don't know Andre Almeida, obviously. I've not been around the team. I've not been in the locker room. I'm just going by what I see. I'm using him as an example because he made a comment. If... In training, Andre Almeida is criticized for a previous match for maybe not getting up the pitch enough, maybe not getting up there quick enough, maybe not delivering a quality cross or two, or failing to deliver crosses when it was on. A player can quickly take that instruction and fine. Every time I hit the attacking third from now on, I'm whipping across. But if people were playing like they were taking orders like that, like they were taking instruction to the most literal context possible, we have matches where Benfica have have launched off 20-plus crosses to no avail. So what happens is the manager starts to get frustrated. And the manager starts to shuffle his lineup, see if anybody will listen, to see if anybody's going to make a change, if anybody can, can get that spark that pulls everybody else back together. What and I think that's where was what was happening going down the stretch here as he started to shuffle players around and try to invent. He couldn't all season, okay, 2019-2020, not, <laughs> you know, there was not a striker who played well as a starter this season. Vinicius was good when he came off the bench. He added goals as a substitution. Seferovic's goals, I think, all came as a substitute this year. Diego Souza's yet to make his his mark on the team. I'll get to to Diego Souza too, and you know, and that is a byproduct of the modern game, the Diego Souza story. I'll get to that before 
this episode ends. And I think that's another thing that might have done the manager in here. And that is football decisions being made by non-football people and him being left to make sense of it. But back to players taking instruction out of context. And strikers, for example, not playing well as starters. So what happens is the manager just starts to split time. He started to split time. You notice I said this in the last episode, and it's starting to become it's starting to become regular. There's Seferovic, and there is Carlos Vinicius. One of them plays for an hour; the other plays the last half hour. And if the one that scores the goal, if they get a goal, starts the next match. Bruno Lage, I don't think forgot how to manage. I think there was nothing else he could do. I mean, short of putting Ruben Diaz at striker, <laughs> just to maybe wake up the uh, the strikers. He would never do that. You don't do that at the professional level. But there is very little that could be done to change that type of funk. If players do not play and do not, this team did not look like they wanted to play. That's why the manager had to go. Not necessarily through always fault of his own. And again, my article at MrBenfica.com, I call into question the character and the professionalism of this team and of 90% of the individuals on this team. And I even, I believe I went as far as to say, quote, that the majority of them do not even deserve to wear the crest. I'm watching the match, pacing back and forth, waiting for a goal. This was this was against Maritimo, or maybe against Santa Clara, excuse me. The camera goes to the bench behind Bruno Lage. What do I see? I see substitutes with their legs crossed. We're losing. We're losing to Santa Clara at home. Nobody cares. There's not a manager in the world that is going to be able to work when it's like that. You have to make the change because that's the only thing that is going to change the attitude and is going to flip that switch in the player's the player's mind. Unfortunately, football is cruel like that. And I'll be the first to say that I think too many coaching changes are made in Por- Portugal especially. T- too many teams go through two, three managers a season. That's not a bad manager. That's a bad That's a, a bad board, a bad president, not appointing the right manager the first time. And then bringing in some guy to just save the day. Using that effect that you have when a new manager comes into the team and players start to try. It's almost involuntary. Players need a couple months to start disliking a manager. And it and teams like Tondela, teams like uh teams like Fumalicão, not Fumalicão, but uh Passos Ferreira, Bolinas Sad go through three managers a season because they try to rescue their season in that little upswing you get from getting a new manager. This is very narrow-sided management from the board from the president. This is not how I would like to, to run a football club. This is how these teams choose to do it. okay? Because the pressure is so great to stay in the first division. Now you can amplify that by 100 when you go to England, a country like England or Spain or Germany, where where you know the money is is 10 times more, where you know relegation is is, is almost a death sentence for some clubs and you know, you do it, and managers, managers are hired to to plan in a plan of a project. Bruno Lage was a project manager. He was brought in to to continue the progress and to continue the project of bringing first team players 
from the academy into the first team of developing talent. There was a portion of Benfica's philosophy that was designated to that a year ago. For whatever reason, this season, that went out the window. Okay, that went out the window. This season, Florentino gets saddled on the bench. For what reason we still, does anyone remember? Maybe he had a, yeah, he had a bad game against Porto, I think. Um, he he teamed up with, he paired with Samadish in, uh, in midfield in that match against Porto, and neither one of them had a good game, and they were both they were both saddled to the bench, and all of a sudden, Fasia's playing in the league. And the midfield became Fasia and Tarapt. And first of all, I don't know if... I think certain players play because of outside influences, and it's not always the manager choosing the eleven. And the problem is, Lige was hired because he's a nice guy. He's a yes man. And I don't mean that as an insult. Listen, I'm I'm a yes man. Okay? I discovered in my career evolution, I was much more suited to be an assistant because I'm too easily a yes man. I don't like conflict. And I end up just doing what I'm told. I work best with a, a, a head manager or a head coach that has the opposite personality. A guy who will take anything on a Georges Jesus type. Okay? A Jose Mourinho type. Those are the time. Uh, for example, my father. He never backed down from, from anything when he, was, when he knew he was right. I wasn't born with the same personality. I have a different one. I have the knowledge, but I have a different personality. I learned that I was suited to be an assistant. At least at high levels. Okay. Bruno Lage is in his first job as a manager at Benfica. Okay. He came in, I think, naive. Okay. I think he came in naive. I think he trusted everyone around him a little too much. I still think he trusted the president too much. I think he truly believed for a long time. I think he didn't come to the realization that his team did not have his interest at heart. His players did not care about him, it looked like. At least a large portion of them until the end. You saw it on his face against Maritimo. You didn't see it so much in the lead-up. I think when he told, when he said that he believed he had the players with him, maybe not in the last match, but in previous matches, I think he genuinely believed it. I think he believed everybody was working together, and I think what happened was there were forces working against him. And what happens is when you have a, an assistant like Verissimo, and I'm not going to put any blame on Verissimo, I think Verissimo and Lige ended up getting very to be very close, but it's possible that the players started to like Verissimo. It's possible that the players wanted Verissimo in charge. Perhaps he became more fun. Maybe he was more laid back as Lige started feeling the pressure. It reminds me of Chelsea, okay, when I can't remember if it was Mourinho or if it was uh, Andrea Villas-Boas, but both of them had that Chelsea locker room led by that no-good John Terry, uh, you know, tank to, to, to sink the manager, okay? And I remember the... It became really obvious because the players liked Roberto Di Matteo. What happens? The manager gets sacked. Again, I don't remember if it's Mourinho or if it's AVB. But the manager gets sacked. Roberto uh, Di Matteo takes over. 
Chelsea go on to win the Champions League. They have a similar sec, you know, end of the season to what Benfica did last year. Very similar. I think what happens at these high levels, the egos of these players sometimes, even subconsciously, start to decide that they like the they like a certain element of the coaching staff better than than another element, and they start to favor it. And I think Verissimo was the right choice right now. He's been in the in there every day. He knows the players. We don't, you know, there isn't time for a new manager to come and learn the the, the players to meet the players and for the players to learn a new manager with a cup final coming up in five weeks. That's where I think it started to go wrong. So where does Brunelage go next? What do you guys think? Am I wrong about this? Um, I want to hear from, from from the listeners. You can tweet at me at Benfica Mister. You can hit me up on Instagram at Mr. Benfica. Or feel free to email me at uh, Benfica at gmail.com. Um, I'd like to hear your think. Am I am I way off on this? Do you think? I'm using a perspective of somebody who's been in a in a in a bad locker room. I've been in a bad cultural locker room in a in a hostile locker room. I've been in a good one. I know the difference. And I just I am seeing things, little things in body language and in reaction, in comments players make that suggest. That which I have said where I think things started to go wrong. And no doubt, Brunelage started to make the wrong coaching uh, decisions. And I guess I've been pressed to try to figure out how somebody who made all the right decisions a, a year ago seemingly forgot to manage. And I think it has more to do with the players just starting to refuse to play for him. Perhaps I'm wrong. Either way, the manager had to change. So what's next for Brunelage? Uh, I'll talk about that next, right after this short break here on Mr. Benfica. Passa cá fora, se me perguntar se gosto de ver discutido, porque vocês estão sempre a tocar no Benfica, a tocar no Benfica. Se gosto de ver discutido na praça pública, um colega de profissão, da forma que está a ser discutido o Bruno não gosto. Mas temos que aceitar, porque somos, fazemos parte uh, deste mediatismo todo e desta, desta, desta publicidade toda que existe no futebol. Uh, não, sinceramente é uma coisa que eu não, não gosto de ver um colega de previsão, seja ele qual for e esse respeito eu tenho seja pelo Bruno Lage, seja pelo, pelo Pepa, seja pelo Nuno Manta seja por quem for quer dizer, por treinadores, colegas de previsão And that right there was a Porto manager, Sérgio Conceição Showing a little bit of respect and support for Bruno Lage. That was a, a week or two ago um, when asked about. Uh, basically, he had been tired of been asked, being asked about Benfica and being asked about the treatment of this guy and of that guy. And what uh, what Sergio goes on to say there is that he he is getting tired of the 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 nitpicking from the from those who profit off of publicizing scan maybe not scandal, but drama in football and creating stories where they don't always exist. And he goes, and then he says, if you're asking me if I enjoy seeing what's being done to Bruno Lage, no, I don't. That's a, that is a, a colleague of, of profession of mine. And to see him in the public always ridiculed like this, I don't like it. I have a respect for Bruno Lage the way I do for all my, my colleagues, whether it be Bruno Lage or Peppa or Nuno Manta, whoever it may be. But, um, I think, over the course of the last year and a half, a, a mutual respect has formed between Sergio Conceição and Bruno Lage. Um, at first, if you remember, uh, 
Sergio was was not the the classiest um, in his in his talkings of Bruno Lage or of Benfica, but uh, Bruno Bruno Lage handled all of that with such class, and he handled so many adversities. I think he handled well. I think we saw him start to crack and start to break here at the very end of this run, and it, it's too bad because I think under dif- different circumstance and a different culture, Bruno Lage could have been a long time manager at Benfica. Um, the the problem is when you manage Benfica, second place isn't good enough. You don't get a rebuilding year at Benfica. You don't get a rebuilding year at Porto. Those are the only two big clubs in Portugal. <laughs> Those are the only two clubs you could say that about. Okay, Sporting's been rebuilding for twenty years, but you don't you don't get that. Okay, so if Benfica want to have a this is. A, before I go on to what's next for Bruno Lage, Benfica need to figure out where they are going. If their decision is they're going forward with the youth movement and they are going to develop the players in the academy and promote them through and they're going to have a team, a senior team based on a core of academy-grown players, well, you know what? They need to have the courage to do that and stick to it. It's not going to work in six months. That type of a plan takes three to four years. And you know what? You're going to have to explain to Benfiquistas what you are doing and hope that they accept it. It's not easy to pull a, a that type of a revolution in uh, at Benfica. Again, Benfica is a democracy. If the fans or the sausage, I should say, do not like it, they will vote you out. For better or for worse, that that that's democracy at its at its core. Not always is the popular decision the right decision, or the or the correct decision, or the intelligent decision. But in democracy, it's the the popular decision wins. Right and wrong is not decided in democracy. Democracy simply decides the the. The action or the point of action. Benfica is the oldest democracy in Portugal. They tout it long and clear. The song you hear at the end of the show, Avant Pro Benfica, was banned by the regime. Okay? Benfica have a long history of this. But if what the club want to do, for whatever reason whether it be sustainability in the long haul, whether it be because they want to make a killer profit, the club has to be upfront and honest about these things with its members, and they have to sell it to the members. They can't say one thing and do another, and that's what we've been getting under this presidency. So Benfica needs to decide if they're going to continue with this project. They need to get a manager that suits the project, and then they have to give him the time to carry out the project. They are going to have to listen to unhappy fans. They're going to have to listen to criticism. And we as fans, if that's what they decide, are going to have to accept it until the next election. This club needs to figure out where it's going. If that's where you're going, you can't bring in a manager that's whose strength is pulling together a team and, and and going to the market and buying players and putting a team on the field today to win today. 
I don't think that that model, as idealistic as it is, again, I'm the hopeless romantic when it comes to football. It's so idealistic. Yes, let's develop our own talent. Well, one, our fan base doesn't have the patience for that. Two, our culture is far too competitive and too tribal to ever have the patience for that. Okay? And I was listening to a history podcast on um, the o Observador, Portuguese language, okay? Um, it was talking about Portuguese history. And a historian, and I don't know which one said this, okay? So um, I'm going to paraphrase because I do not want to misquote. But he said, and for those of you that are familiar with Portuguese history, you know that in 1910, um, the monarchy was overthrown and a republic was established. He said if football were in 1910 what it is in 2010, Portugal would never have established a, a republic because once football came into the Portuguese the Portuguese society, clubismo, clubism replaced patriotism. And it's true. When you go to Portugal, the first question you're asked when you meet somebody, who's your club? Okay, Benficistas are not going to sit around as much as we'd love to idealize about the thought uh, of growing an entire team in the academy and putting, what, eight academy players on the pitch and winning the Champions League with with academy-grown players. Well, that's just not the modern game. You're not going to win like that. It's a great model for teams in the third division. It's a great model for teams in small cities to rally the community around their club. And maybe they'll win a promotion one year. And then they'll get knocked back down. You know, they'll get relegated back down. They'll start again. And small clubs survive on that. Not Benfica. That's not going to work at Benfica. I think the goal should be to get a couple of academy graduates into the first team. But most of them should go on loan to the Rio Aves, the Fumalicãos, the Vitória Guimarães, Sporting Bragas of the world. Especially the teams in the top half of the... Uh, of the table who, who uh, you know, fight for European spots, who are teams that do their share of attacking in matches. That's a good place to, to loan players. But they have to go there, not with the idea that they've been demoted. Players have to go there and fight for positions. Jota needs to go on loan. Like this, he's never gonna uh, gonna improve. He is gonna burn out, and he's gonna end up in the second division in five years, or he's gonna end up, you know, on he's gonna end up playing for Sportivo de Zavj in five years. So he needs to go on loan to a team that has a competitive, um, a competitive nature within the team. Again, Vitória Guimarães, Riwav, Famalicão. Right now, those are good clubs to loan players to. He's not just going to walk into a club and win a, a starting spot, but at least he has a chance. And we got to see what he's made of. He plays the same position as Rafa. And as long as Rafa is at Benfica and Chervi is at Benfica, there's no room for Jota. He's, you know, they're playing him on the right. He's not even normally a right sided player. He normally plays the left with his, with his strong right foot to the inside. But that's, he's got no room on the right either. He, we have Pizzi there and Pedrinho's coming in next season. In fact, I think Pedrinho should be beating out Pizzi for that position. It may not happen right away, but by the end of next season, I expect Pedrinho 
to be the starter in that position and Peasy maybe reduced to either a different role or having to learn to come off the bench. Some of these players are too comfortable and they need to be pushed. Now getting back to Bruno Lage, where does he go from here? This is fascinating to me. I think Bruno Lage, um during this, this COVID period may want to lay low. He's going to be making some good money on behalf of Benfica. However, I'm sure his agent, George Mintz, is eager to put him uh, back to work. Um, given the, the stress, and uh, whenever you're sacked, it's an emotional uh, it's an emotional beatdown, to be honest. And a manager needs some time away to regain his strength. And, you know, you've seen Jose Mourinho. I love using him as an example because he's been sacked so many times now. And he was once on top of the world. And, you know, Bruno Lage had such a rapid ascend and an even faster descend. He went to the highest high and now he's at the lowest low in a, such a short period of time. He needs to reevaluate his style. He needs to reevaluate his practices. And by practice, I mean the way he carries himself, not the trainings. But he probably needs to reassess his trainings. He needs to figure out if he's going to be a head man again, who his staff is going to be. Did somebody in his staff betray him? I don't know. It's possible. He needs to reevaluate all these things. What type of club am I a good fit at? That is that is the question Bruno Lage has to take this next phase of his life to ask himself. We have seen Portuguese managers get sacked, go abroad, and do phenomenally. None more probably than Nuno Espírito Santo right now at Wolves. Sacked at, at Porto for for not being able to beat Benfica. That's what it comes down to in Portugal when you're at one of the top two teams. Bruno Lage is sacked because he's not going to be champion. There's a lot of other reasons, but if Benfica were six points ahead and playing like crap, Bruno Lage would still be the manager. They're six points behind, so he's not. Okay, if they were six points ahead, playing like crap, Sergio Conceição is probably on his way out of Football Club do Porto. But that's not the reality of where they are. That's basically what decides it at these two teams. Bruno Lage has to think of a project he believes in, a mission. Possibly, a, uh, you know, again, a great decision by Nuno Spiegelsant and his same agent, uh, George Mins, was to go to Wolves when they were in the championship. Okay. He went to a club with an ambitious mission an ambitious project and they believed he was the guy to take him from the championship to the premier league and nunu even exceeded he looked like a he looked like a fool managing porto now he looks like a genius in the premier league obviously he probably reevaluated certain things about the way he does things but it also is probably the much healthier climate he now works in at wolves i'm sure that Porto's climate is is just as toxic or just as combustible as Benfica's. It all depends on how results are going. Nuno didn't just take him to the Premier League. He took him to the Europa League. Now he's in the last eight of the Europa League. Well, last 16. Wherever they are in the Europa League, I think he's in the last 16. Um, he has a chance to win. He has as good a chance as anybody else to win the Europa League this year with Wolves. Paulo Fonseca is another prime example, a different path, but one that definitely could be there for Brunelage in time. Paulo Fonseca sacked at Porto, goes to, he goes back to Pastor Ferreira, if I if I'm correct. I'm gonna look this up just to make sure for for uh, 
accuracy's sake. Let me look this up. I believe Paulo Fonseca went from Porto back to Passos de Ferreira and then to Braga, but he may have gone from Porto straight to Braga. I'm going to double-check this for you if you give me just one moment. And I'm bringing up his Wikipedia right now. His name is Paulo Fonseca. And Paulo Fonseca went from Porto to back to Passos Ferreira. That's right. He went from Passos Ferreira to Porto, back to Passos Ferreira, to Braga. Having had that experience at a big club that now Bruno Lage also has, is going to be immensely valuable when uh, he moves on. Okay, So he takes that, that experience and he goes to Braga, has a, a, a good, good run of form in Braga. Makes a decent name for himself and lands a job at Shakhtar Donetsk. Shakhtar Donetsk in Ukraine. One of the places where they love Portuguese managers. And in three years, he he dominates Ukraine and earns himself a big-time job at AS Roma. And now, Paulo Fonseca, recognizing he is a project manager, embraces a long-term project at Roma. Notice he didn't go to a team that had to win this year. He went to a team where there was a project and where there's going to be patience for him to build his team. This was year zero of the Paulo Fonseca project. He will most he will in all likelihood be back for his second season. Now, if things don't go in the second season, then the club is going to start to to think about the direction of that project. But the foundation is being built for a run later. Paulo Fonseca is another great example of a Portuguese manager getting sacked by a big club, by one of the big two, and finding his way back to the to the prime. Marco Silva, whose now his name is being thrown, you know, our way, sacked for BS reasons from Sporting after winning the cup. The only reason he was sacked is because Jorge Jesus became available and they found the slightest infraction in his contract to sack him. Goes to Olympiacos, wins the Greek League in one season, gets out of there because he doesn't get along with him. Okay. Goes to Hull late in uh, the season. Plays some impressive football despite getting relegated. Lands himself at Watford. Lands himself at Everton. Eventually gets sacked. But you know what? Paul uh, Marco Silva is still a big name in the coaching market. A lot of clubs will pay good money to land Marco Silva. Perhaps Bruno Lage's path is more like that. Perhaps it's like Vitor Pereira's. Perhaps Bruno Lage is on his way to Turkey or to to Greece. If that's the case, he's going to go to one of the big teams and he's going to be expected to win. And he has this experience now with the pressure at Benfica. So he shouldn't be surprised. And I don't think he's ever going to be this naive again. And I don't think he's ever going to let players, you know. If there's bad apples in that Benfica locker room, there won't be bad apples in his next locker room. And I think he's going to have more courage and he's going to tell his next president when a player is a bad apple and needs to go. Personally think he'd be a great fit in Greece at Panathinaikos. And here's why. The Greek leagues. super, And it's not because my friend supports Panathinaikos, but it, my friend does support Panathinaikos. And before recording, I asked him if they were in the market for a new coach and he said they were. 
You look at the big clubs. There's four big clubs in Greece. Olympiacos, Pedro Martins, Portuguese manager. Okay, went from Vitória Guimarães to to he he's managed Maritimo, Bolognese. She goes to Vitória Guimarães to Olympiacos, Greek champion. Last year's Greek champion, Pauk. Abel uh, Silva is the is the manager. Portuguese manager left Braga over a contract dispute over money. Landed a higher paying job in Greece with Pauk. Won them their first league title, I think, ever, but if not ever, in a very long time. AEK has had Portuguese coaches. Ike in the past couple of seasons. Fernando Santos had a great run at both Panathinaikos and Ike. Um, Greek football does like Portuguese managers and they pay them well. If it's not in Greece, Turkey likes Portuguese managers. Carlos Carvalhal has connections at Besiktas, I'm sure. Bruno Lage is a disciple of Carlos Carvalhal. Carlos Carvalhal was highly successful at Besiktas. Besiktas, you know, I think if when they become in the market for a manager, I think they're going to call George Mins and if and if Bruno Lage is available, Bruno Lage will be a candidate if he wants that job. There's jobs in the Middle East if that's what he wants. He's got a young family, so I don't know if that's what he wants to go that far away. There's jobs in the championship that I think Bruno Lage is perfect for. Ambitious jobs. Derby County if, when they become available. A Nottingham Forest, perhaps. These are clubs near the top with, with owners that want to invest and that want to... To see their club improve. This club's in the Premier League. I think they'd be happy to have Bruno Lage as well. Portuguese managers are well received in France as well. Bordeaux just became available. Paulo Souza just left. Because he didn't have conditions that he was promised. For the project that he accepted. Could, could Bordeaux be looking at Bruno Lage? Bruno Lage would be joining Andrea Village Boas in the in the French league. We know Leonardo Jardin did did maybe the best project manager work of all time in the French league, building a Monaco team to win the title. In the era of PSG's, you know, Qatari ownership, we'll have to wait and see. But I definitely wish Bruno Lage well. I wish it had worked out better. But I'm fully behind the new manager, obviously, at Benfica. No matter who he is. And right now, that's Nelson Verissimo. And I'm fully behind him. And I hope that the players are as well. Because we need to start getting points. And we need to, more than ever, win the Portuguese Cup this year. He needs to get this team ready to go win the Portuguese Cup. And make sure he gets second place, of course. And who knows, if Porto slip up, we got to put pressure on him. He said today in the, pre- in the pregame presser, uh, Nelson Verissimo, his first pregame presser, all right, that while there's still mathematically a chance, they have to go after it, and I agree with that 100%. All right, I'm going to leave you in this episode with maybe the highlight and the fondest memory of Bruno Lage that a lot of us have. It is Bruno Lage speaking in the Marques Pombal, the championship celebration last May. On that night, Bruno Lage would have been elected president of Portugal had he run, and he sounded like a 
like an unbelievable <laughs> politician or just a, a Nobel Peace Prize winner with this speech. Hey, okay, I'm going to send you away with Bruno Lage here speaking at the Marquez Pombal. Benfica playing tomorrow. That's July the 4th, the 4th of July. Happy 4th of July to all the listeners in the United States. Happy belated Canada Day to all the listeners in Canada. And... um 4.15 Eastern Time here in the United States, 1.15 Pacific Time on the West Coast of the United States, and that is 9.15, yeah, 9.15 p.m., 21, 21.15 in Portugal at Lisbon Standard Time at the Stadio de Luz, Benfica versus Bovisha, first game of the new era. Hopefully we can get back uh, into our winning ways Carrega Benfica, Força Benfica, Pelo Benfica, We Are Benfica, Tamo 38, Hashtag Obrigado Lige. And before I forget, also a programming update dropping tomorrow. So probably by the time you hear this episode already dropped. Episode 3 of Jota Jota Carioca in Portuguese. It's on the PTB Soccer Network, but I will also uh, I will also post it here on this feed for anybody that wants to hear it. It will be there, and later this weekend, my goal is to get out a Mr. Portugal, a special Mr. Portugal. I'm going to start going... I'm going to go back in time, and I am going to start um, reviewing Euro 84, Portugal's first qualification into Euro in lieu of this year's Euro because I planned to talk about this year's Euro, which is now next year's Euro. So in lieu of that, I will turn the clock back to 1984. You guys know how I like that time frame. Um, having already talked about Benfica 82-83 season, I'll go just one year ahead on uh, just one year ahead into 1984 in a Portuguese team that captured the nation, captured the attention and the hearts of Portuguese people everywhere. And I'll talk about that. And I will also post those episodes on this feed for the special, uh, I guess, <laughs> special in lieu of Euro 2020 um, programming. So that's coming your way very soon. And again, Hashtag Obrigado Lige. See you next time. A malta, é só para avisar que ninguém vai para casa sem deixar a praça limpa. Só os quer dizer aqui uma coisa que ainda não não percebi. É o que é que o pau gajo que trabalha na Repsol está aqui a fechar com a gente. Só marcou 300 gols. Apai fez uma época fantástica. O primeiro aplauso tem que ser para ele. Para o gajo que trabalha na Repsol. 35 anos. Foi um exemplo. Deu um exemplo aos mais novos. E foi nesta base que nós destruímos esta equipa que chegou campeã. É só para vos dizer que quando estávamos a perder por 2-0, foi a vossa força que nos fez. Um, dar os primeiros passos para nós chegarmos aqui por isso esse título é vosso é dos jogadores é da relação que existe entre vós e os jogadores uma palavra para o presidente que nos apoiou desde a primeira hora que me deu esta oportunidade fantástica de ser treinador da equipa principal do Benfica A nossa estrutura, pelo Rui Costa, pelo 
ao Tiago pelo apoio que me deram, principalmente a mim, para trabalhar da forma mais tranquila, para fazer o nosso trabalho da melhor forma dia a dia, a equipa técnica, mas há uma coisa que foi o trabalho fantástico que os jogadores fizeram. Por isso, a malta, só vos quero agradecer uh, o vosso apoio, aquilo que vocês fizeram por nós e acho que nós uh, chegámos justamente ao, ao título mais que merecido, 37.